We come today to continue our series uh, as we move closer towards the cross, the Easter event, and the passion of Jesus. And so far we've walked with Jesus through several steps in this process. Uh, we saw him celebrate Passover with his disciples and then at that moment institute what we know as uh, the Lord's Supper. And we shared in that. Then we watched as Jesus went through the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane as his humanity came to full force as he wrestled with his will and the will of God. And would he, would he be faithful and obedient uh, to come to earth and fulfill what God desired for him to do? Would he, would he go to the cross? Would he, would he fulfill God's desire for salvation for all of mankind. Then we watched as Jesus went through the betrayal by Judas, the arrest by the police force of the religious leaders, and then by being denied by Simon Peter. Today we're going to find Jesus facing the mockery of the Jewish legal system and the injustice that Jesus really suffers in his trials. And we're going to look at Mark's account of that. If you'll open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 15, we'll look at the first 20 verses. And we'll read about the accounts here in Mark's account of the trial and the injustice that Jesus had to endure. Mark writes and tells us very early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders, with the chief priests and the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the, with the uh, insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers they put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. And falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Now we'll read this account from Mark's Gospel about the mockery of the injustice of the trial through which Jesus went. I think we can d divide it into three scenes. The first scene is what we could call the, the scene of silence as, as Jesus is on trial. The second would be the scene of, of substitution as Barabbas is released and Jesus takes his place. And then the third scene would be the scene of suffering where Jesus is abused before he even is taken to the cross to be crucified. So what do we see in the first scene? The scene of silence. 
what we see is that Jesus is innocent, but he's falsely accused. Jesus was not given a fair trial. In actuality, he went through six trials in this mockery of this judicial system. And these six trials were both Jewish and Roman, as well as civil and religious. When you put all four of the Gospels together and get the harmony correct uh, with, the, with the process that went, went through his trial, he first went before Annas, who was the father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas. And it was Annas who decided that it was better for one man to die for all the people. Then he sent him back to Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who was the high priest. And, and in Matthew's gospel, he declared that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy and worthy of death. Then they took him before the Sanhedrin in Matthew 27, and they declared that Jesus should die because of his blasphemy. Then comes the civil part of this. They sent him to Pilate, the governor of Judea, in, in John 18, and he declared that Jesus was not guilty. It just so happened that Herod Antipas was in the region, who was a tetrarch of Galilee. And so Pilate sent him to Herod, and Herod found that he was not guilty, sent him back to Pilate for the sixth trial, and once again, Pilate decided that Jesus was not guilty, but he turned Jesus over to the Jews at their request. Now, we know that Jesus came to the trial because he was arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was arrested by the police force or the religious leaders who were the only ones who had the right to carry weapons. He was taken to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And by this time, it's perhaps after midnight, and he's placed in a holding cell, which basically was a, a pit in the ground, maybe an empty cistern. And he would have spent time in there while they went out and they gathered from all over Jerusalem the court members of the Sanhedrin who were asleep in their beds. And they gathered them for the mockery of a trial at night, which was illegal, and also was not done during the Passover season, during the times of the feast. But they were so bent on destroying Jesus and doing away with him that they went through this mockery of the injustice of the legal system. When they brought him before Caiaphas for his defense, Jesus had very, very little to say. And so early in that morning that had already become the second day, Jesus was taken to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor. So the Jews said to him, this man is claiming to be king and that's treason. What are you going to do about it? And Pilate questioned Jesus, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it is as you say. And then the Jews started bringing all kinds of accusations against Jesus. But it's so interesting that in the face of all of these accusations, that Jesus did not say another word, not one other word in his defense. He was silent. And that is a fulfillment of what we read from centuries earlier in the, in the writing of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 7, that describes this Messiah who would come, that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. A lamb is subjected to two basic indignities. First, when a lamb is, is shorn of, of all of its wool, it's a sign of disgrace, and it stands there naked and frail, stripped of its glory and strength. And Jesus went through that kind of shame and humility. 
And then there is the slaughter of the lamb where even the docile lamb will gently lick the hand of the one who cuts its throat and does so silently. And Jesus endured both the indignity and the shame of torture and crucifixion without speaking in his defense. We see the silence in this scene as Jesus is on trial. Then the second scene we call the scene of substitution. And what we see here is that we're introduced to the man by the name of Barabbas. And we see that Barabbas is actually guilty, but he is graciously excused. Now, when we weave the story together, we know that Pilate really wanted to release Jesus. He knew that Jesus, Jesus the Christ, was innocent. And he really wanted to release him. And so, He wanted to use the custom of the Passover, which was to release uh, a prisoner. And during the Passover time, of course, they they were celebrating the mercy of God as he passed over uh, with the death angel and passed over them and extended his mercy to his children. So Pilate asked if he could release Jesus. But the religious leaders had stirred up the people already to demand of Pilate that they release Barabbas instead of releasing Jesus. So what do we know about this man, Barabbas? We've heard about him. We know that he was the one who was guilty and and should have gone to the cross, but that Jesus went in his place in the substitute for, for Barabbas. What do we know about Barabbas? Well, we look at his name, and that's the only thing that we ever find in Scripture is the name Barabbas. And what does that tell us? Well, it's two words put together, Bar, which means son, and Abbas, which means father. You put it together, it literally means that he was the son of a father. Well, that doesn't tell us a whole lot. Everybody, every man is a son of a father. But history tells us that the outstanding rabbis and teachers who were known for their genuineness of their faith, for their great sincerity of piety in a positive way and great teaching were referred to as the Abbas or the fathers. So when we put all this together, we discover that Barabbas was actually the son of a godly rabbi. We'd say that Barabbas was a preacher's kid. You know what that's like, bud. I've got four of them who grew up as a preacher's kid, and they all turned out to either be a pastor or a married to one. He grew up as a pastor's kid, a rabbi's kid. But it's even more intriguing when you look at his story. In Matthew's account, chapter 27, Pilate refers to Jesus doing this discussion about Barabbas as Jesus who is called Christ. Now, why is there a distinction that Pilate makes at that point? Well, Jesus was a common name in that day. Many, many Jewish boys went around with the name Jesus. It was a derivative of the Old Testament name Yeshua or Joshua, which means a, a strong, godly man, a deliverer. And so this godly rabbi and his wife had a son, and they had great hopes for him, and they named him Jesus or Yeshua. And so Pilate had to address the crowd and give them a choice. And in Matthew's gospel, he said, the scripture says that when they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas perhaps he might say, or Jesus who is called Christ? We skip down a little bit later on, and the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called 
Christ. And they said, let him be crucified. Now get this scene. Get this scene that Barabbas is guilty. And look at the names. It's, a, it's an interplay with the names. It's, the question is asked, which Jesus do you want to get rid of? Jesus the Christ? Or Jesus the rabbi's son? Which do you want me to release for you? Jesus the son of a rabbi or Jesus the son of God? The people were faced with an ultimate choice. And what were they getting with Barabbas? Well, history tells us he had a, he had a rap sheet that was perhaps a mile long. All of the gospel writers describe him in less than glowing terms. In John chapter 18, he's called a robber. And the, and the word that's used there for robber refers to a very, very dangerous man. That, that if they had had a post office, a bulletin board would have had a picture of him that would have said armed and dangerous. Mark chapter 15 verse 7 tells us that he was a murderer. Luke tells us in chapter 23 that he was an insurrectionist, which meant he was a part of the group of zealots who were trying to overthrow the Roman government. He had already been a part of a rebellious movement. He had killed somebody. He was guilty of murder in trying to overthrow the Roman government. So you look at the comparison and the choices that the people had. He was a notorious prisoner, well known for his criminal activities and for murder. And his name was Jesus Barabbas. Then here is the other one on trial. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who was innocent in every way. Perhaps you might describe Barabbas as being a hero, maybe like a Robin Hood of the people of that day. He was the type of Messiah that they were looking for. Don't you think? They wanted somebody who would come and deliver them from the oppression of the, of the Roman government. And he had already partaken of that. He had already killed somebody in that defense. And so they made a logical choice because Jesus came in and he preached forgiveness. And he talked about the love of God. And he talked about turning the other cheek. And Barabbas talked about, we need to overthrow the government and take back our land. And so the people made a logical choice. Here was Barabbas guilty of murder and all kinds of criminal acts. Here is Jesus innocent as a lamb. And the people cried out, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Barabbas was the one who was guilty, but Jesus went to the cross as a substitute in his place. And again, we don't know what happened to Barabbas. But perhaps you're like I am. Don't you like to speculate? Just like we wondered about Peter looking at, at, at Jesus later and wondering about that. That look that Jesus gave to him. Malchus with his ear severed and then a new ear. Jesus put on the side of his head and wondering what in the world happened to, to Malchus. Whatever happened to him, did he, did he somehow get touched by this story? Did he watch the crucifixion? When the, when, when the prison door swung open and Barabbas was set free, did he maybe look out and see Jesus standing there and think, he's taking my place? Did somehow he stand by and watch as Jesus was flogged and the skin was torn off of his back 
and think he's taking my place. When Jesus went to the cross and was nailed there, maybe perhaps Barabbas dared to stand by somewhere in the crowd and watch and think this man took my place. I should be on that cross. We don't know what happened to Barabbas. But the reality is Jesus died in his place as a substitute. And in the same way, he died for you and me and everybody else when he died on that cross as a substitute for us. Barabbas was guilty, but Jesus died as an innocent. And then we see the third scene, which we call the scene of suffering. And here's where Jesus is shamefully abused. Before Jesus ever reaches the cross, he faces the unspeakable torture at the hands of the cruel Roman soldiers. Usually three soldiers were assigned to this task. They would strip the garment off the back of the prisoners. That's what they did to Jesus. And the hands were either tied in locks above them or tied to a whipping post. And there were the cat of nine tails, a, a whip with nine strips of leather that had bits of metal or glass or stone or, or whatever on it so that it would just absolutely tear the flesh off the back of, of the prisoners. They lashed Jesus 39 times. And usually by the time of the 39th lash, the, the skin was bare and the bone was showing. And sometimes they would go so far in that brutality that the, the criminal would die before they even went to the cross. That was not the object. The object was to beat them so that they would be so weak that the time on the cross would go by quicker and they would die quicker. But Jesus endured that. And then after the flogging, Jesus was taken inside the fortress where an entire company of Roman soldiers came and began to torture him. And in mockery they bowed down before him, put a purple robe on him, twisted the crown of thorns and put on his head forcefully. All this Jesus Christ endured, that mockery and that shame and that suffering to fulfill prophecy once again of Isaiah. Isaiah 52, 14 tells us, there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. Isaiah 53, 3 tells us he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering and like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Perhaps Jesus was so brutally beaten that he was not even recognizable. Think of all the suffering that Jesus endured because of the sins that you and I had committed. And Mark ends this section of Scripture by describing that horrible flogging by simply saying, then they led him out to crucify him. Next week we will look at the crucifixion and celebrate Lord's Supper as a reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross and his death in our place. But the day we see Jesus on trial and we know that he's gone through the mockery of this trial and the end result is that he goes to the cross in the place of Barabbas and literally goes to the cross in your place and mine. And we have to come to the same conclusion that even today Jesus is still on trial because we have to determine who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? If you haven't made that decision, then I want to challenge you by by four questions that you have to come face to face with and answer in all honesty. Number one, was he a liar? Clearly Jesus made some great claims. One of them was that he claimed to be God. And if he was lying, why was he lying? Liars lie because of something to gain or, or something that they have to hide. And Jesus 
had nothing to gain. I mean, he, he died not even with clothes on his back. And what did he have to gain? He wasn't intentionally deceiving people. He was a great teacher, and you look at what he taught. If he was a liar, he was a hypocrite because he talked about kindness and unselfishness and forgiveness. And he displayed all of that from the cross. Or was he a lunatic? He made outrageous claims to be God. Was he deluded? Or was he really the Son of God? There are plenty of people who have claimed to be God. Most every sight ward has somebody on it who claims to be God. But if you look at their life in totality, you see that their entire life is out of order. But when you look at the life of Jesus claiming to be God, you'll see that it was a life completely centered around the teachings of the Scripture and completely in obedience to God. And it was a life of wit and wisdom and love and compassion for others. So was he a liar, was he a lunatic, or was he a legend? Did did his followers invent this legend about his death and then his resurrection? Why would they have done that? What would have been their motive? You know, typically deception is motivated by greed or self-promotion. What happened to these early followers? What happened to all these disciples of Jesus? Every one of them was tortured and died. And they went to their death affirming that Jesus was the Christ and that his resurrection was valid and that they would see him in the glories of heaven. Was he a legend? Or was he Lord? Is he Lord? See, the only other option you have is to accept what Jesus claimed to be, that he is the one and only Son of God of God, who existed with God before time began, and who came to earth to be the perfect sacrifice, to satisfy the demands of a righteous God, so that you and I could be free from our sins. So who is he to you? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Is he a legend? Or is he Lord? Choose carefully. Choose carefully because Jesus himself said in John 8, 24, if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. You see, in our scripture today, we see Jesus on trial and going through the mockery and the abuse of that trial. A crooked judicial system, both civil and religious. But remember one day, one day Jesus will return and he will be the judge and you and I will be on trial. So choose very carefully who he is. He is Lord. Affirm that decision so that you do not die in your sins. Father God, we marvel at the depth of your love for us and the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who would come and suffer all the indignities that he endured. Today we see the injustice of the trials through which he, he was ridiculed and abused, and then the abuse he went through, through all that suffering for us as the Lord. 
Help us, Father, to see him truly as he is and to decide rightfully that he is Lord and that we commit our life to him, accepting the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. Help us to understand the compassion that drove him and the desire to see us as your children and a part of your kingdom and that we might experience forgiveness of our sins and life everlasting in the world to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.